this year, build your dream. That's what God wants. He wants you to live the life that you've always wanted. His plans for you are very clear. And so we asked the question from James, what is your life? What is your life? And in Jeremiah 24, verses 6 through 7, in the darkest hour that Israel ever went through as a nation, God had this to say. I will set mine eyes on them for good and will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down and I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God and they shall return to me with their whole heart. What God is telling Israel is in their darkest moment of despair that he is going to still bless them and things are going to get better. Don't think he's telling them that where you are is how the story is going to end. Because when you connect with me, there's something that happens. I've encouraged you to pray these verses in the first person as a prayer. And say it like this. God said he has set his eyes on me for good. And he will bring me into my promised land. And he will build me up and not pull me down. You ought to do that every day of your life. Talk about release incredible authority in your life. Praying scripture does that. But in Philippians 3, 13 through 15, the words of the Apostle Paul, brethren. I want to stop with that one word. You see that? Brethren. Who's he talking to? He's talking to other believers as a believer. That is, after he has been converted, he says, I still do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward, what did he say? The goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Which direction does the call of God or an encounter with God carry you? Say it with me. Say it out loud. It's important you get this fixed in your mind. Upward. And he goes on further to say, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. What he's saying is, just hang around God for a while. And sooner or later, you'll come to see what I've discovered about God. And that is that when you connect with God, your life starts moving upward. I want to speak today from a thought that has been shared with me, title has, by my son-in-law and his business partner, Mike. They're both like my sons, not just members of the church, but um, they have, as you know, built a successful business and they are first class at training and empowering people to pursue dreams. And they have a saying that I want to borrow and uses the title of my message today. And that saying is, when you get it, or you will get it when you go get it. You will get it when you go get it. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak a word to us right now that will help us to understand what really is at the heart of God concerning us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. You saw what Paul describes the Christian life as being in verse 14. He says it's the upward call. That means when you connect with God and pursue him, your life begins to move in an upward progression. Now, that's not true in the world. Jewish scholars say this. They don't believe in evolution, but they do believe in devolution. (laughs) 
That is, instead of man coming from an, a monkey to become a man, they think man's going the other direction. <laughs> and really, you look at the world, and you'll find out that that is exactly what has happened with the enemy wreaking havoc among mankind or among us as he has done. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. At the end of the day, you always end up with a net loss. Now, Jesus comes that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, so you walk out of this thing with more than you entered into it with. But here's the problem, is that this is of much greater significance, the statements I just made, than most of us realize. It really is. And I believe that our not knowing how important those two things I just said are, we have allowed the enemy to actually hurt the effectiveness and influence of the church and the earth dramatically. And because of it, because we haven't understood these two foundational principles that when you connect with the enemy, life goes downward. But when you connect with God, it moves upward. Because we haven't understood that, we have allowed the enemy to position us as the church incorrectly in the world and the world believes we only exist for spiritual reasons or purposes. Because of this, the world doesn't see Jesus in the church anymore. They look at the church and all they see is rules or regulations or judgment. They see religion. They see teaching available about how you can go to heaven when you die because if you believe that the only reason the church exists is for spiritual matters, and that's your paradigm, that's your presupposition. And since you need salvation, you know, when you cross over from this life to the next one and your focus, the focus of the teaching is designed to get you ready for that day, then their supposition is this, where do I go? Their question is, where must I seek help in dealing with the problems I have right now? Where's Jesus in all of this? They don't see Jesus in the church. They see, like I said, religion and rules and regulations. And joke, okay, please don't shoot me down for the one I'm about to tell you. Christmas was approaching. And a Sunday school teacher was teaching his preschoolers about Christmas and what it meant. Jesus and the baby, the whole nativity, and the manger, the baby and the, and the, and the manger, the whole nativity scene. And he became concerned that his students might become a little confused about Jesus and think he's still just a baby. So he went on to try to emphasize that Jesus grew up and that he, he, he went to the cross and conquered death, hell, and the grave and ascended into heaven and he's now Lord and Savior. And so to make sure these concepts were being communicated to the kids because children think very, very uh, uh, much in one way, you understand what I'm saying? And so they think very linearly. And like if you say Jesus is a baby, that's what they believe. They believe you. But they needed to understand he's also more than that. And Christmas was just our celebration of the fact that he had come. So he said, where is Jesus today? And little Johnny raised his hand and said, he's in heaven. You know, he had paid attention to the teaching. And little Mary was called on and she answered, oh, Jesus is in my heart. And so she got that part right. But little Robert was standing over by his chair, waving both hands furiously. And finally, he blurted out, I know, I know where Jesus is. He's in our bathroom. 
And the whole class got really quiet, looked at the teacher, and waited for a response. And the teacher was completely at a loss for a few long seconds. And finally, he gathered his wits, and he asked little Robert, how do you know Jesus is in your bathroom? And Robert said, well, every morning my dad gets up, bangs on the bathroom door, and yells, Jesus Christ, are you still in there? Now, pray for me if you think that's sacrilegious, okay? But people don't know where Jesus is anymore. They don't see him in the church. And the world needs a Jesus that will help them succeed in every part of their life and not just spiritual matters. And so many people in the world literally come to believe that if I become a Christian, it will cost me something in terms of success in my business. Because with the world being like it is and the economy like it is, hey, if you don't Stretch the truth and tell a little white lie and, you know, and fudge a little here and there. How are you going to sell anything today? You know, you, if you're going to be a salesman and make any money, man, it, I mean, this is your family at home. You've got to cut a few corners, right? And they also think the same thing about having fun. That if you come into the church, there goes all the fun, all the partying's out the window. What they call partying is really a self-destructive lifestyle that ends up leading to addiction and the breakup of your marriage and, and your kids being in bad shape and everything else like David referred to a while ago. But they think because this is the way they've been positioned, the church is only about spiritual matters. But if you're going to have fun, that's out here where we are. And if you're going to have su su success, well, that's out here where we are too. And so church, hang around. If I ever need you, I'll call you. And amazingly, even many Christians have bought into this, and I've heard it taught. I've heard people in this church in conversations make comments to the effect that God's not really interested in your financial well-being or any of that, and whatever you're walking through, you know, just hang on till you get to heaven kind of a deal. Well, I encourage you to hang on and certainly go to heaven. But I want you to realize that they actually, some people actually believe that God doesn't care if you get a raise or not. Doesn't care if your business succeeds or not. Doesn't care if you get a promotion or not. You're just supposed to walk through ever what you're walking through until you get to heaven. And doesn't really care if your marriage is happy or miserable. Rather, you're married to someone that's the delight of your life or, or someone that <laughs> is less than that. Amen. <laughs> he, all he wants you to do is, bless God, you married him. Hang in there now. That, that's what they think the church represents. Seriously. But look at what Paul said. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. The call is upward. Your marriage ought to be moving to a higher plane. Your finances. What in that scripture says one thing about this being restricted to the spiritual realm? Nothing. And he even goes on to say, to those that disagree with the point that he is making, verse 15, that evidences or ideas that you believe otherwise indicate a lack of spiritual maturity on your part as a believer. He said, as many as are mature have the same mind I have, and that is the call of God leads upward. Well, we're talking about dreams because you don't get upward without dreams. Even God has dreams. As I told you, Andrew made a statement a few Sundays ago. He said, God had a dream and wrapped you around it. He did. His church is his dream in the earth. God had a dream. Sent his only begotten son. John 3, 16, verse 17. Not to judge the world, but that the world through him might believe. God had a dream. Amen. 
And his dream is that his church would be a living representation of his glory. The Bible describes the church as a glorious church that is the immediate center of attention when she steps onto the stage. And she's called the bride. In the same sense that, well, I was just in Virginia last weekend preaching for one of my sons in ministry. And they put me at a hotel and I arrived on Saturday evening. And there were a couple of weddings going on. And everybody's coming in. Guys are in their suits and ladies in their nice dresses. But you know who they stopped and looked at, right? The bride, when she walked in, everybody stopped and looked at the bride. She was the center of attention. And that's what God wants to have happen. His bride to be the center of attention that when the world looks at us, they will give him glory and they will give him praise. Amen. You see, but the truth is not everyone's dreams will become true. In fact, sadly, most people will never see their dreams become realities. That's the sad fact. The graveyards are full of dreams that never became real. Why is it this way? Because most people who dream dreams don't realize there's a process you've got to go through to make a dream move from the phase of being imaginary to becoming a practical reality. Or if they do realize there's a process, they opt out and simply fail to go through the process. We have been done a disservice in life if there's anyone here that thinks you're automatically just going to be blessed or get whatever you want out of life. You have been done, done a disservice. That's not the way life works. You don't sit and wait for your dream to come to pass. You will get it when you go get it. Amen. The woman with the issue of blood got her healing when she went and got it and pressed through the crowd. The blind man got his sight when he went and got it and came to Jesus as he went through the crowd, finding his way until he got to the feet of the master. Hello. And one man almost missed getting it because when Jesus came by and he should have went to get it, he said, I don't have anybody to put me into the pool. I'm waiting on somebody to bring it to me. And I want to tell you, if that's your attitude, you're going to be waiting a long time because dreams don't come look you up. You go get it. And that's when you get it. Amen. We've been talking about the steps that you pay or the steps you walk through uh, that have to do with vision and the other things we've already talked about. There is, now we've come to this, this part about the price you must pay because there's always a price to pay to succeed or see a dream come to pass in any part of your life, whether that's in ministry whether it's in marriage, finances, business, always there is a price to pay. Amen. One of the most important things I've learned, now watch this, back to what the world sees when they look at the church. They haven't figured out because we haven't figured it out first. And that is the same principles of the kingdom that lead to success in our relationship with God also lead to success in every area of your life if you apply them to the other areas of your life. Wish I could hear an amen right now. This is not a book that is just designed to help you spiritually. 
This book is the source of life itself for you. The laws of the kingdom govern those things in this universe that we cannot see and that science does not understand or teach us about. For example, science may be able to teach you about gravity, but they can't tell you how to find success instead of failure. They don't tell you what happiness is as opposed to misery or inner fulfillment as opposed to emptiness. And for you to find these things, I want to tell you the same principles that you have to follow to find God and have a relationship with God. And you must follow the principles of this book to know God. I, I need to clarify that. The same principles that will lead you to God, if applied to other aspects of life, will lead you to success there also. And while I'm on this, you think you can find God without him and his word? Oh, me and God got our own little, I never read the Bible, I don't need to, I already know all about God. Oh, is that right? I'm really happy to hear that. Amen. Amen. And then you think it was Goliath that delivered Israel out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea. No, you, you need the word of God. But the principles of the kingdom, if they are followed, will also lead to success in any other area of your life. For the kingdom, for the principles of the kingdom are all about how to make you succeed. And Paul looked, I think it was Paul, the writer of Hebrews. I always say Paul. Could have been Apollos and it could have been Timothy, but I still think it was Paul. It says in Hebrews 12 and 2 that if you want to see a dream become a reality, remember God had a dream. And that dream was to win mankind unto himself. Look at Hebrews 12 and 2. He says that we should look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for, say it, the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now there's a success story. Talk about a success story. He came as a peasant born in a stable, laid aside his royal robes of glory and splendor, came into this world through the back door, and became Lord of all of mankind. From a nondescript beginning, he became the name that you and I revere and has not only from that nondescript beginning gone on to conquer sin and conquer death and conquer the grave and be resurrected. Watch this. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does that mean? He did what he set out to do. He accomplished it, he finished it, and he was successful. Amen. Is there anybody in this building that would like to say that about their marriage or their finances or their business? How would you like to sit down at the right hand, amen, and say, I paid the price, but look where I'm at right now. Oh, somebody in the building that wants to get there needs to say hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's talk about the cost of building a dream for a few minutes. Number one, dreams are cheap. It costs nothing to merely dream, especially if you don't intend to make your dreams become real. Everybody has dreams. Very few will actually see those dreams become realities. Why? Because dreams are cheap and dreams don't change anything. Most people use dreams as some form of anesthesia to placate their inner drive and pain. 
What do I mean by that? They anesthetize their own unhappiness by dreaming dreams and living somewhere in dreamland of what things might someday could be, hope they would be like. Someday my ship will come in. Someday I'll win the lottery. Someday, yeah, someday. And they anesthetize their inner pain and frustration, dreaming dreams. They deal with their own unhappiness this way, but it never changes anything in their life. And from that perspective, I would tell you that dreams are dangerous because you don't want anything to make you feel good when nothing has changed. Oh, I need a better amen. Your foot is stuck in a trap. You don't want somebody to come along and tell you it's okay. Your life is a mess. You need somebody to help you turn it around, not pat you on the back and say it's all right, just stay right there. Dreams are cheap. Number two, to build your dream, it will not only cost you something, it will actually cost you everything if it is the dream that God created you to fulfill in this life. You need to know that. It will cost you everything, not just something. You're going to have to lay some stuff aside to be able to get to it. Ah, oh, Lord, I watched David play that guitar. You don't know I used to be able to play. Not that good, but I, I could. I could play. I was raised around blues, and I love that. And I got in church, and you've heard me say before when I got saved, the criteria for whether music was acceptable in the little church I was in was if you bent the string, the pastor frowned at you. And you, there's no good music unless you bend strings. You know what I mean? My God. I, need, I grew up with people like Albert Collins and Freddie King and, and all these guys, B.B. King. And, and I mean, that's, that, those were my influences when I was a kid. And I got in church and now I got saved and all those people are radical sinners and going to hell. And don't you bring that music in here. And that Char Ray Charles stuff he was playing a while ago. Oh, now, Yeah. Amen. Some of, you, some of you with your newer style of music, but just, I just want you to know that it started somewhere. And I got called into the ministry at the same time that I was getting flack from the church for the way I was playing. And I used to spend 8 to 12 hours a day with a guitar in my hand. That's not an exaggeration. And I realized I can't do that and be in ministry, so I made a conscious decision. If they don't like the stuff I'm playing, I'm laying my guitar aside. And I'm going to spend all my time in the Bible because I needed to anyway because I'm called in the ministry. I did that. And I didn't pick up a guitar for over 46 years. Amen. Seriously, I laid it aside because there was something I had to pursue. Dreams are cheap, but to build a dream, it's not only going to cost you something, it'll cost you everything. And I wanted to do something for God. And I shared with you, it was just last year, about a little less than a year ago that God came to me. Seriously. You think I'm making this up? I'm not. I didn't think I would ever pick up a guitar again as long as I lived. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me and said, go get a guitar. If you hadn't learned how to preach by now, you never will. Amen. I'm serious. And it was like God chuckled at me when he said it. And you know what I did? I went down to the guitar center and bought myself a Stratocaster, baby. Like I used to have back in the day. 
and you don't know it, but pastor's at home bending some strings every once in a while, and I'm having fun. Uh-huh. I gave up one dream to pursue another. Number three, what is really amazing is that when your dream becomes a reality, you will also gain everything. It not only costs you everything, but your dream becoming a reality is going to change your life. And that's why I say pursue it because it's worth it. Now, you know, I'm just pastor to you guys, but believe it or not, I go other places and I'm like, oh, Dr. Hurd is here. I mean, seriously, I get a lot of respect where I go. Here? Oh, that's just pastor. Amen. I'm serious. I mean, folk will come from miles to be in conferences that I'm speaking in. And, and they give me honor. Pastors line up to shake my hand, have me pray for them, want me to be in their churches, do conferences for them. Here, who's preaching this weekend? Pastor. Yeah. I was preaching one time for Tudor Bismarck, and folk were going crazy. And the next morning, he was preaching. And they were just sitting out there watching him. And he said, why are you going crazy when Richard Hurd is preaching? What am I, chop liver? <laughs> Amen. That's my little joke with Tudor. I tease him every once in a while about that. I have paid a price. They weren't people that see me now want me to lay hands on them and impart into them with one prayer what has taken me 46 years to be able to find. They weren't there when I picked up Coke bottles from one place to another to buy gas to get from one city to the next. They weren't there when I put my wife and two brand new babies in motel rooms that, <laughs> let's not even go there. And, and I, I, they don't know what we have gone through as a family or the times I've been on the road and my wife has been at home and my kids didn't have their daddy there. And now they see me at one place and uh, you can lay a hand on me and pray for me and impart all of that in one little prayer. I wish it was that easy. But now I'm enjoying the price I paid. And you hear what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. You pay the price and someday you will enjoy the price. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. You pay the price and someday you'll look around and be the envy of others who would like to be where you are. Number four, you cannot just be willing to pay the price. You will indeed actually have to pay the price for your dream to become real. Because everybody says, oh, I'm willing, I'm willing. Yeah, well, you can't just be willing. You actually have to do it. And that's why I offer this one word of advice. The bigger the dream, the greater the price. But are you ready for this? The opposite of that, of that is also true. The greater the price you pay, the greater the reward you will receive. Amen. And God wants to make some God-sized dreams come to pass in somebody's life. I wish I could hear an amen from somebody. Part of the price you must pay is in preparation. Watch it. Preparation. What are you doing to prepare for your dream? Most of us sit around waiting for it to happen, looking for our ship to come in, checking the mail, going to the stop and go to see if the lottery ticket we bought. Come on, that, that's what we call preparation. That's not preparation. That's daydreaming. Hello. Hello. Christ spent 33 years preparing for the cross. 
30 years preparing for ministry, three more years preparing to face the agony he faced. And Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, says, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Speaking of preparation, we're walking through that as as we move toward our new facility, most folk would like to wave a magic wand and a brand new building be out there in six months. I wish it was that easy. You know that not long after the first of the year, we gave the banks our paperwork. They got to go through all of this. They have to send people out there to, to uh, look at the land and, and all of this and evaluate all these things. And they're just about to, to finish that up and wrap that up. But that was supposed to have done that months ago. And we have to wait. We got to walk through it. There's no way to hurry that process. Amen. The appraisers couldn't even go appraise the property because it had rained so much. And you know what we have to do? What you have to do with your dream. Just be patient and wait. It's coming. Amen. Keep preparing. Hello. And what are we doing in the process? Re continuing to raise money. Amen. As we continue to give our Build the Dream pledges because they require a certain percentage down to give you a construction loan. And we just keep making steady progress in that direction and waiting for somebody to pay us what we know those corners are really worth. And, and when they do, we're going to be out of here. Amen. But we're moving in the right direction. You know, somebody could even say, hey, why don't we stop everything else we're doing and put every penny over there? I'll tell you why. Because God had a dream. That's why. And he had a dream that this church would touch the world. And we don't want to put God's dream aside. Because when you do that, you lose the favor of God Almighty. Somebody said other churches have done it. Yeah, other churches have done a lot of things. One of the things other churches have done, for example, is they now give two-tenths of one percent to missions. Amen. Somebody help me with that, one of the ushers. Two-tenths of one percent to missions. Imagine the world is going to hell. Jesus gave his all, and churches give two-tenths of one percent to missions. And you want to know why we don't do, go that same route? Oh, but they're being successful. They got their building built. Are they being successful? Really? Maybe when they stand before God, what you call success, he might not call success. He might just look at them and say, that's wood, hay, and stubble. Amen. I don't know what's going on with the alarm, but they'll get it fixed here. Just try to stay focused for a moment. Prepara and I don't, I don't, I'm not surprised the enemy's acting up right now. High five somebody and tell somebody it's going to take more than that to keep me from building my dream. Bing, bing, bing. It's going to take more than that, honey. I'm building my dream. I, I'm not going to allow myself to be distracted. Preparation. Look at Joseph in slavery in the dungeon. Moses, 40 years being educated in Egypt and 40 more years learning humility in the desert. David, years spent fleeing from Saul. Part of the price you must pay in overcoming and building a dream is in overcoming your excuses. To build your dream, we have to get off our butts. Oh, don't think I've cursed. I haven't. Notice how it is spelled. It's spelled B-U-T-S. There is not two T's in that. 
I'm not talking about human anatomy that you need to get up off of. You need to get up off of your butts, your excuses as to why you're not doing anything with your life right now. Oh, somebody give the Lord some praise. I'm not preparing. Why? I've got excuses. I would go to school, but I have a job and a family. I would get a degree, but I don't have enough time. I would invest in being a better husband, but I'm so tired when I get off work. I don't feel like reading. I, I'm already as good as the next guy. Amen. And we have all of these buts that keep us from moving toward our dream. I would go to church every Sunday, but I work hard all week and I only get two days off. <laughs> Testing mic, one, two, three. Just, just checking to make sure it's still working here. Amen. I think of the servants in Matthew 25 to whom the master gave talents of gold. These are not skill sets or abilities. He gave one five talents of gold, which is a certain amount of money. Another he gave two. Another he gave one. He took a journey, came back, called them to give an account. And the one that had five got five more. The one with two now had five. He gained three more. Percentages of gain were actually better than the guy that started out with five. Then he came to the guy that only had one talent of gold. And he said, what did you get for me in addition to what I gave you? And the man said, said, but I knew you were a hard man. I was going to, but I was afraid I would lose it and upset you. Your butts can keep you from doing God's will in your life. And you need to get up off of your objections. Hello, somebody. And make an opportunity for yourself. Your intentions may be good. But if you keep allowing excuses to make you immobile and freeze you where you are, you get locked in and your life never changes. And one day you look around and your life is gone. Part of the price you must pay is that you will face opposition to your dream as well. Look at your neighbor and say, opposition is coming. Tell somebody on the other side, opposition is coming. You will be misunderstood. Look at what the writer writes in Hebrews 12, 13. We look to Jesus to see a model of success, but look what the next verse says. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. One of the strangest things that I've ever had to deal with as a pastor are people who are openly hostile because the church is doing well. Hello. Or I've learned a little something through the years. Let me tell you somebody to watch closely. The person that's there for you when you're down puts their, oh, you poor thing. Oh, let me commiserate with you. Oh, you darling. But then you start getting up again and they get real quiet. You know anybody like that? 
because they get they don't care about you they act like they do but it's their self-esteem that's being ministered to because of the fact you're down and they're a little bit better off than you are you poor darling yeah and then you start rising back up again and who do they think they are now amen they don't like it those kind of people will hold you back never let anybody keep you from fulfilling your dream amen I'm just about done. Part of the price you must pay is in letting go of what is good that you may obtain what is priceless. To achieve your dream, you really have no choice. Some things you'll have to let go of that you can gain things you really don't want to end up losing. No way to go around that. You won't have enough time for everything in your life. You won't. And uh, some of you have heard this statement before by Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Who was Jim Elliott? One of five missionaries martyred at the age of 28 by the Aka Indians while doing missionary work in Ecuador, South America. He was from Portland, Oregon. Left a wife and a baby on the way. They not only, the Akas were one of the most bloodthirsty, vicious, cruel people that ever lived. They lived in the jungles. Only recently had contact been made with them when Jim Aka, or rather Jim Elliott and his team went there to preach to the Akas. You know what, the Akas not only killed strangers, and they did. If you were a stranger, they just killed you. They also killed people they didn't like. They had one solution for a problem, that was to kill the person they didn't like. But they didn't just kill the people they didn't like. They also killed members of their own families. Get in a disagreement, just kill the guy that, that, that you're in a disagreement with. Get this. They often killed their own children because they got tired of taking care of them. That's who this young man went to bring the gospel to. And they befriended them, began to give them a few gifts, pots, pans, things like that. And the Aka were secretly plotting to kill them and they didn't know it. And they went to meet them on an appointed day at a river. This is a true story. And they had guns. All five of the men had guns. And the Aka Indians attacked them with their spears, having plotted to kill them. And the men looked at each other and asked, what shall we do? And they said, if we pull our weapons and defend ourselves, then they will never receive the gospel. And they put their weapons down and allowed themselves to be martyred and laid down their lives that this people would someday in the future hear the gospel. And all five of them died, including that young man. And years later, this had worked on the Aka people until they could not stand it. They could never get away from those five missionaries that could have killed them and instead laid their weapons down and faced death for Christ. And you know what happened? They ended up becoming converted. The guy up there you're about to see right now, that's one of the guys that killed the man you just looked at. And several years later, another missionary team came through. And they told the missionary team that came through afterward that had killed after these others had been killed. They said, tell us again about this Jesus. Because we cannot understand why these five men would not use their guns to defend their lives. 
And that man was one of those that ran a spear into Jim Elliot and took his life. And he became a born-again child of God and is now a minister of the gospel. And he counted on his fingers and he said, I have killed 12 men with this spear. But he said, that was when my heart was black. And he said, now Jesus has washed my heart clean. Because somebody paid a price. Whoa, that's making your life count for God. As I conclude here today, I want to tell you, your life is going to someday be gone. It will someday be gone. And more of it has passed by than you might want to, admi uh, to imagine or even admit. And so I want to ask you, what are you doing to build your dream? Stand with me across the building. God dreamed a dream and wrapped you around it, to use Andrew's phrase. God has a dream for his church. He wants you to be blessed. And this is why God doesn't want your life to be static, stagnated, you to st be stuck in one place for the rest of your life financially, hating every day you live. This is why I strongly, forcibly disagree with those who teach that the church and the scripture only exist to make you spiritual and is only concerned about where you spend eternity. Absolutely not. I tell you right now that Christ died for every part of your life. He died that your marriage could be blessed. Oh, somebody help me right now. Somebody needs to look at you and say, there goes a man. And I don't understand what's happening in his life, but he's been through a few things. But look at how blessed he is. Somebody whose life is going that way needs to be looking at you while your life is going this way and saying, I want to get off this road I'm on and get on the one that you're on. David mentioned that a moment ago when he saw a blind man in his youth that impacted him. Blind and playing a guitar in a little town in Mississippi, still communicated through the words of his song that he had something that David and his family did not have. And I'm offering that to you today. I'm offering you Jesus as the whole package, not just somebody that wants to save you when you die. You need to get saved? Yes, you need to get saved right now because how can you fulfill your destiny without him but then beyond that watch as the dream begins to come to pass